Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. Looked at the first couple of lines of the Lord's Prayer. And it reminds us who we know, our Heavenly Father. Now, the Lord's Prayer is an interesting prayer. It seems like a collection of maybe random points just put together, but there is some sequence to those and there is some outcome to it. You see, we're told to pray our pray to our Heavenly Father and then it goes straight into your kingdom come. And as I said last week, the point of the prayer, your kingdom come, is to reveal the Heavenly Father. And so when you pray into a situation, a circumstance, be it personal, friends, or, or for a nation, and you're praying, Lord, you've got to do something in this circumstance. Bring your kingdom into this. It's all about revealing the Heavenly Father. It's all about pointing to him in your life, in our life, and in the life of the world, that our Heavenly Father truly is good and he is actually at work in the world. And so... The entire life of Jesus, from beginning to end, actually points to our Heavenly Father. He really didn't want to point people to himself. He wanted to point people to his Father. And so we see in John 14.9 where there's a couple of disciples and they've got a little bit of an issue going on and they ask him a question in John 14. And it's Philip. And because uh, Jesus is banging on about God being heavenly father, you see. And so out of frustration, one of the disciples says to Jesus, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. In other words, can you stop going on about this heavenly father stuff? Just show him to us and we're done. We'll be happy. We'll be satisfied. Right? Now, you've possibly got questions like that about God too. Lord, just show yourself and I'll be fine. In this circumstance. So Jesus replies, and it's amazing how unruffled Jesus is with the sometimes really left field questions that the disciples have. They had, at one point they want to call down fire on people and all kinds of stuff, and Jesus, you know, he's just as rela relaxed as a poached egg about this, you know. And he invites questions about God. In fact, we should. And so he replies to Philip's question and he says philip if you've seen me you've seen the father now put yourself in that circumstance you're kind of frustrated with jesus and jesus replies like that and you see everything about the life of jesus points to the heavenly father and it points to the heavenly father wanting to work in your life in our life and of course work in the world at large now, the Lord's Prayer starts out, and we've got it up here in, uh, I forget which translation it is. Uh, so pray like this, he says. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Your kingdom come soon, now, urgently, come. In other words, not next week, not 2,000 years next, Lord. Come now. And God wants you to pray that. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, a lot of people say this. They say, oh, well, you know, it's the will of God that this happened or that happened. Quite frankly, I don't see a lot of the will of God happening, you know. Um, 
I had a circumstance just last weekend at a, at a couple of minutes after seven, one of my staff was murdered, brutally murdered, by the way, in, in front of a whole group of people. Extremely complex and nasty circumstance, and I get, oh, great. That was not the will of God being done, you see. Now, you could write that off. Some people could say, oh, well, that's the sovereignty of God overseeing over the situation, and he called that person home. You know, you, you get that kind of theology thrown into the mix. Quite frankly, it was ridiculously demonic, and it was not the will of God being done, and it took a person's life out, you see. And so, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because we encounter in life circumstances where the will of God is not being done. And we've got to be on guard, and not in guard because of fear, but on guard, because evil does intrude into your life at times. Is that right? That was, that was just supernaturally evil, what happened last weekend. That kind of shattered my weekend and shattered those people's lives with deep trauma, with 10 people witnessing one of their colleagues being stabbed to death. You know, this is going to take years to sort out for some of these people that witnessed that. And so that's why God says... May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because it's not being done and, it, and, and you sometimes need to really call down the will of God in your circumstance and life because evil does prey on us. We shouldn't be in fear of that. I'm not in fear of evil, not at all, because I know whom I belong to and I see God at work. That gives me great confidence. But I'm just a little bit on guard to pray, Lord, your will needs to be done in this and not to take things for granted because of my fragility. That's the point. I'm, a, I'm fragile. For a 63-year-old male to stand up and say he's fragile, does that sound good? But truly we are and we, we urgently need the will of God to be in our life because of our fragility and our temporary state that we actually have. All right, so it starts out here and it says, May your name be kept holy. Now, in the English, the old English translation says the word hallowed. You know, well, who, who uses the word hallowed? All right, but it's an interesting Greek word because what it actually says, May your name be declared. It's, the, it's to declare his holiness. May your name be declared as perfect. May your name be declared as holy. May your name be declared as awesome and above everything else. That's what that Greek word means. May your name be set aside for holiness, Lord. That's what it means. And so we kind of lose the impact of this because, you know, you know we're taught in school uh, well, I was anyway, in the school I went to as a kid, we had to pray the Lord's Prayer every Monday morning. I had absolutely no idea what it was about. But we just, and we saluted the flag. Did, were you around in those days? Yeah. Hey, the oldies, all right. I was in a country town and we were like 25, 30 years behind everyone else. You know, so I grew up like a pre-Second pre World War context. That's where, what I grew up in, out in the bush, I tell you. But we saluted the flag and we prayed the prayer and it went straight over our head and made no impact whatsoever. Had I understood as a kid when it says, you know, uh, our Father in heaven, may your name be declared holy, magnificent, awesome, wonderful, I probably would have got it. But it was just a religious prayer, right? And so... 
when you take these scriptures, please don't pray some lame prayer, oh, Lord, you know, uh, holy, uh, hallowed is your name. Put some passion into it. Yeah? That's what you're supposed to do. You see, God is awesome, and it's supposed to grab your passions when you pray, that you want to say out loud, Lord, you're absolutely awesome, Lord. Would someone please say it for me right now? Let it loose. Absolutely. See, this is it, you see. That's what it's all about. And your mouth, your spirit, your mind is to declare God's goodness over your life, even though you might not feel like it. And there's many times you don't feel like it. Is that right? Absolutely. You get up, you've got a headache, you're aching all over, and, and there's a million problems sitting on top of you. And you know what? You get a hold of who God is. And you say, Lord, you're absolutely awesome, even though this situation is rotten. I hate it. And I wish my life could be different. But you declare who God is. And, and then you call on the kingdom of God to come. And friends, God wants to do stuff in your life. He truly does. Last week, if you, I uh, was sharing in your living room or wherever you were last week, I was there by video if you happened to turn me on. And I just shared a little short little couple of testimonies of late, you know, of recently. Um, God wants to visit people, and it's a passion. Our Heavenly Father is a passion that we have. He's not a program. Okay, so the idea and the practice of the kingdom of God is, is really much overlooked in Christianity because we've somehow reduced or turned or morphed the kingdom of God into programs into projects or into planning. Now, you've got to do all of those things to roll out good news. Is that right? You've got to do that to, to roll out the mercy of God at times. You've got to have programs, planning and projects. But friends, the kingdom of God is uniquely not those things. It's a passion. And that passion has got to fill what you do. People have got to notice it. I worked in Singapore for six years, mobilising people all over Asia, mobilising Asians. I was a mission pastor there. And um, I, I love the, the, uh, the Singapore spirit. I love it. But the other side of the deal is they are possessed with the need to programise everything. <laughs> I mean, you have not found people on the surface of the earth so perfect at running programmes and projects. And within me there was this constant tension... <laughs> you see, in working in that context. And I, and I, I just love living there for those years. But at the same time, I, I saw very acutely, do not turn the kingdom of God into a program. It's got to come through as a passion. You see. Now for us, we need to run projects, programs, and we've got to do a lot of planning. But friends, please don't let that become uh, just a good set of planning and projects. Right. So the kingdom of God is a passion that wants to possess you because of your Heavenly Father. Now, I'm saying all of this because I want us to look at this year coming, you see. Where are we trending? Where are you trending this year? Where are we trending this year collectively as a church? Now, last weekend was a sure indicator uh, that you cannot depend on, on repetitive, routine things happening as you all, always thought they would, correct? Interruptions are going to happen more and more and more. Small things that just you bother us, 
that was just a bother last week, right? It wasn't a stress or anything else. It was just a bother. But, you know, it just threw a lot of people's lives into confusion. Think of someone whose wedding was going to be on the next day and at 6 o'clock they lock, lock everything down. I tell you, that's just stressful for people, all right? Now, that kind of thing knocks on collectively all around us and we have this corporate sense of stress all around us. We have to live in the middle of that and we've got to be like Jesus, relaxed as a poached egg. Because we walk with our Heavenly Father. Is this true? We must be, friends. If you are not uniquely different, then, then who are we? What are we? You see. And this year has got to be marked by, by that confidence of walking with our Heavenly Father and the passion of the Kingdom of God filling us because it's just going to be on and off, on and off, on and off, probably for the next couple of years. I don't know what your employment is, but my employment got completely tipped on its head and I can't even go back to my workplace probably till next year. That's in Asia. You know, it just completely spun me out as to how I'm to function and operate. Do you know what? I've got to find my Heavenly Father within that. You see. And work out, right, Heavenly Father, how do we do this together? You see. And where does that take us? And what's the new thing you're wanting to reveal in my life? What am I learning in this situation, Heavenly Father? There's a little quote goes something like this. Um, um, in times of drastic change, it's the learners who will inherit the future. The people who consider themselves learned will be equipped to live in a world that no longer exists. And so you've got to respond to the situation. We've got to learn how to walk with our Heavenly Father because our circumstances won't exist as they used to. Used to. I've discovered that dramatically in my own, my own uh, vocation in life, you see. So, talking about this whole idea of declaring God's holiness, God's goodness, God's wonder as, as the Lord's Prayer opens up. Be kept holy, you see. Uh, I had a school teacher I greatly respected in primary school. His name was Hilary Conley. And another friend of mine named Peter, we used to go to him because we greatly respected this man. And we used to say, you got anything we can do for you, sir? And he used to give us these little tasks to do this, that and the other in his teaching world. We felt invited into his world, even though he gave us tasks and things to do. That was out of respect, you see. He invited us into his world. Same as our Heavenly Father. Out of our respect and honour for him, he invites us into his world and he gives us stuff to do. And I found it a great joy uh, doing those things for that teacher because of the respect that we had for that man as little kids. See? So our Heavenly Father invites us into his realm into his world, into his activity, when we pray, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come. You see, we're invited in to our heavenly Father's world when we pray that prayer. And this raises an important couple of questions. If we are to pray, your kingdom come, begs the question, where do you want your kingdom to come, Lord, and through who? It might just be you that God wants to work through in a circumstance. And so it puts us on the block, in a sense, when we pray, thy kingdom come, because God delights to work through people. That's God's way of working in the world. 
Sure, he can miraculously heal people with the laying on of hands, but you know what? He works through that person to do that, right? We just don't see people randomly healed spontaneously. There's something activates that, right? So the, your kingdom come is through people. And that puts us in a place where we have to ask the question, God, how do you want to reveal your kingdom through me, through us collectively? Many years ago, I was lying on a piece of cement and having a quiet time. It was a dusty piece of cement. I remember it very clearly. And it was in a suburb called Bandra in the city of Bombay. And we were over there. We used to send many, many teams over there and I would visit there. For many years, I visited every three to four months consistently for years, went to India. Used to spend months there every year. And one time, I'm having this prayer meeting with a prayer time with myself, not with anyone else. And I'm lying flat in this piece of cement. And we'd been working in Bombay and we'd, we were doing church planting with other churches, existing churches, right? And that had both problems and blessings with it. But it's all we knew to do. So um, I lay on the piece of cement and I said to the Lord, Lord, is there anywhere in this nation you, else you want us to go and start? And as clear as anything... As you can hear a voice speaking to you like you're hearing my voice now, I heard an audible voice speak to me. And it, was, and it said Nagpur. It's a city, the city of snake. Nag is snake in Hindi. And I hear, heard as clear as anything this name Nagpur. I didn't even know the city existed. <laughs> Grabbed a map, looked at it and found it was dead in the centre of India. I went to my host, an old British woman. She'd been there from before the wars. Her maid, she'd had all her life. The maid was 75. Right? She was an old, old thing from the colonial era, pre-independence of India. It was a timepiece, this woman and her household. Anyway, I said to her, she'd gotten saved late in life, this lady, and I said to her, because we were staying at her house, I said, tell me about this city called Nagpur in central India. What do you know about it? First words out of her mouth was, don't go there. The RSS are there. The RSS are the radical Hindus. They're, they're the, on the ground side of the BJP, the current political party. Radical guys. They're the, they're the um, Al-Qaeda of Hinduism. So she said, don't go there. The RSS are there. They'll have your head. That's roughly what she said. So, okay. so I, the next day I was preaching in a church and I said to the pastor, his name was Shaker, good Indian name, Pastor Shaker. And I said to him, Pastor, tell me about this city called Nagpur. What do you know about it? You know what he said to me? Don't go there. The RSS are there. They'll have your head. That's exactly what the dude said to me. And I said, two times in two days. I said, this is fascinating. <laughs> Who are these RSS folks and why shouldn't we be there? Right? White people shouldn't turn up. So every, I'm telling you, everyone I asked, an Indian, they all said, don't go there. Don't you foreigners go there. It's too dangerous for you. So that was like putting a red rag in front of a bull for me. You see? So I, I came back to Australia and I said to my team, I said, I just want to submit what I've heard from the Lord to you for you to test whether this is from God or not. Okay? So I just submitted. I didn't tell them I had, you know, or anything. I just laid it down for them. I'm telling you what happened, that I heard an audible voice. I just said, I'm feeling something from the Lord. That's what you do when you submit your, your, your guidance, right? You submit it to others, not in a demanding way. So I just submitted it. And so I said, you pray about this, whether we should start and send some teams over there. 
They sat on and prayed about it, and they said, yes, we should go. Definitely go there, right? The first team went out, was led by a veterinary surgeon. She took a team over there, and they all came back alive. <laughs> and they said, it's fine, you know, just keep out of harm's way, and it was all good. And so we subsequently sent more teams over there, and I tell you what, we had nothing but trouble. Every time we went, it was just mega trouble. It was just like, have we got this so wrong, what we're doing? Teams would argue with themselves, and they'd come back in disarray. Problems would happen constantly, constantly, constantly. So we learned that this city was the city of contention. It's the city that brings down contention across all of India. Emerges out of this place, Nagpur, right in the middle, the city of contention what it was known as. So, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so, at any rate, long story, through, through repeated failure, we eventually get some people on the ground there and they stay. One couple stayed 13 years. Another few, couple of others stayed about three to five years. We saw people come to Christ here and there, but we had to answer an important question. I'm talking about the kingdom of God here, right? We had to answer an important question. What do you do with a new believer? Right? We were just taking them to existing churches and there was just literally a handful of churches in that city of three million. All in a little pocket, hidden away in this sea of radical Hinduism. You see, In a fortress mentality, these Christians. And we were working with them and it was, yeah, you, people had come to Christ but they'd get depressed and it was very Western Christianity and we thought, this is not going to work. This is not, you, what are you going to do with a new believer? You can't drag them along and make them wear a, a white shirt and a black tie. You know, they were the woman was dressed in a sari the day before. You can't put her in a Western dress. This is crazy what they do, right? You shouldn't change their name. All their relatives would reject them when you change their name from a Hindu name. And we thought, no, we're not doing this anymore. Now, I'm telling you a long story because it has to do with thy kingdom come, you see. And it has to do with the Heavenly Father's love. And so we eventually said, we're just going to plant churches ourselves. We're not even going to tell someone that comes to Christ that a church even exists in that form, right? And so we did. Friends, it absolutely exploded. I remember the first girl that got saved in, in the new approach that we had. And she was a little maid lady, and she came to Jesus, powerfully saved, wonderfully saved. And then a number of other women came to the Lord. They were all women, one after the other, bang, 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 all girls. And they had dramatic testimonies, either of healing or deliverance from demons, where the husbands went, wow, this is just amazing. And I don't know if you've been in a Hindu culture, if you've hung out in Hindu villages, if you've been to Hindu festivals. Friends, if you don't believe in demons, you go over there and you'll see them visibly manifesting. You know, you get gurus that levitate off the ground and put their hands in fire and not get burned. It's wild stuff in some of these places, right? And, and so the kingdom of God came into these circumstances and we saw a lot of people come to Christ and our teams had, were run off their feet with harvest. That is a good problem to have. Would you like to have that problem here? It is a really good problem to have. We had nine pastors full-time at one point. They were all YWAMers. It just started to boom. Hundreds and hundreds of people came to the Lord. We put them all in house churches. Best way to do it. They thought it was just great, these Hindus. They thought it was just fabulous that, that they could embrace Christ in that way, still wear their sari and, and not have to go to the temple anymore, but they, they know Jesus. A Hindu priest got saved. His name was Ram Teki. 
He was a hard case, that guy. He'd been all his life a Hindu priest. These foul, ugly, big idols, if you've ever, ever seen them. And been, some of those idols have been there three, four hundred years, generation after generation, just bowing down at these things. And the stone is worn shiny from being touched, friends, and, and, and locked into demonic uh, worship. Foul stuff, right? Uh, you know, before the British came, they raised children for temple prostitute as prostitutes. Can you believe it, right? Now, the gospel, the gospel killed that off, by the way. It was, it was the gospel of Christ that killed off temple prostitutes with little kids, totally attributed uh, to William Carey and his initiative. That's another story. I can go on and on and on here. But what I, what I want to say is here, you've got to have a collective vision you see, together for what the kingdom of God can do. I long to see what we've seen in India happen in, in Australia. You see. And, you know, I, I think we're on the edge of it and we're just starting to see the dribbles of it. And this season we're in right now, right now is so, so shaking people up, right, that I think, you know, we're on, the, we're on the cusp of a big harvest. And you've got to answer that question, what are you going to do with a new believer? And if you think we're going to drag them and sit them in a pew and make them listen to a preacher every week and that's all they're going to get, that's a failure. <laughs> right? We've got to get them into personal relationship and discipleship where you get involved in people's lives. Now, the flip side of everything I've just said, it sounds all very marvellous and wonderful and I spent years going over there back and forth, back and forth. But you know what? It's an ugly place that's hard to love. Total poverty. I don't know how much extreme poverty you've been exposed to, but you go, this is shocking. These people are living like mangy dogs, literally homeless and abandoned. And Hinduism says, well, that's their karma. They sinned in the previous life, so they've come back as a poor man. Why should you lift him up, you see, and interfere with his karma? Maybe I'll do him a good deed. Then my karma will be better, right? And so the, the, the poverty that we were exposed to there was really, really shaky stuff. I mean, it shook you to the core, and, and, it, and you just wanted to reject it. And you didn't want to be there because it was so unlovely at times. You see? Now, friends, the only way you can lean into that is when you have the Heavenly Father's love. See? Otherwise, you get angry, right? And your Christianity becomes angry. But when you have the Heavenly Father's love, you want to lean in toward the poor. Right? You want to lean into their circumstances of poverty. And say, God, work in this circumstance. These people are perilously lost. You know? And we need your kingdom to come, Father. Come through us. Come and do something. You see? Now, we as a church are really well-positioned friends. We are well-equipped in every which way. We could be planting lots more churches uh, in this city all at once. You've just got to be able to embrace what you might fear. See, the RSS ended up not giving us any trouble whatsoever, actually. They were there, but you know, keep your head low and you're fine. You, see, you can't let fear... Of a, of, a, of, a, of a place turn you off or you can't let the unloveliness of it trip you up. You've got to lean in the heavenly Father's love. Thy kingdom come is how we overcome this. Are you with me on this? Friends, I, let's, can we just stand up and we're just going to finish up right now.